How did you manage to sleep through this? <laughs> I, I, that's my question. Like, <laughs> I'm looking kind of disappointed in a way. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to an interesting discussion. Sometimes I'm Haran, I'm back with the boys. We got Harsha, Tarun, and Christian. And this week we have a special guest. Uh, her name is Katie. Um, I'll let her introduce herself to the podcast. Hi, um, my name is Katie. I'm excited to be here today. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, do you want to like just tell the podcast like a little bit like uh, who you are, what you're doing right now, like anything, anything fun facts that you want to share? Uh, we can get into more of it later. Yeah. Fun facts. Well, I live in LA right now. I just graduated from college, so I am working as a paralegal at a nonprofit for like an immigrant rights organization. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we work with asylum seekers, mostly from Central America and Mexico, um, who are trying to get asylum and, and stay here. Nice. My fun fact mm-hmm. is that I um, bought a bottle of wine, but forgot that I didn't have a um, bottle opener, <laughs> <laughs> so I like used a lighter to make the cork. Oh, that's but that's a fire trick. It heated Literally. the wine neck too much and it shattered, so I can't drink the wine at all. Oh <laughs> my god, <laughs> <laughs> that's very unfortunate. Was it an expensive bottle of wine or no? Of course not. I'm working a nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> very fair. Yeah. Is that Coco Bond? Do I recognize that bottle. Oh, it's um, Parker's Estate. Oh, yeah. Uh, you lost me. <laughs> it was a favorite at the Food for Less, so oh. of course I had to choose it. Christian took a wine class senior year of college. And he thinks he knows everything about wine now. Nah, man. Senior year of college seems like eight years ago at this point. Yeah, <laughs> fair. I won't pretend anymore. <laughs> How long have you been in LA for? I moved here in, I think, July, August. So, okay. um, is that seven months? I'm not even sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> Something like that. Do you, do you like it? I guess, well, what did you, you went to college on the West Coast too, right? Yeah, I went to college, I went to Stanford, so up in the Bay Area, around, well, in the Bay Area. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I loved California. I loved the Bay Area. It was a cool place. Mm-hmm. So I thought LA would be similar and it's really not. It's, it's very different. <laughs> I don't know if any of you mm. like have noticed the dichotomy. I mean, I know a lot of people like shit on like if you're in, if you're from NorCal, you shit on SoCal and like vice versa. Yeah. But I guess you've experienced both sides. So what do you, what's your take? What what do you prefer lifestyle wise? Um, lifestyle wise, okay. So the big differences to me appear to be like NorCal is much more environmentally focused. Well, and NorCal is also just richer, mm. so they have more infrastructure. I think for mm. things like recycling mm. and composting, and SoCal, like, I've seen so much styrofoam, more styrofoam than I've ever seen in my whole life, just everywhere, (laughs) (laughs) on the street, in restaurants, whatever. So that was surprising. It was like a culture shock moment. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) And I just paid my taxes for the first time, my California taxes, and... I mean, they already took all my money, so I don't know why they think I have any more to give them, (laughs) but... (laughs) Is there no like big benefit working for a nonprofit from the taxes or no? Well, you don't make as much, so you don't pay as much, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, guess uh, I guess that's a huge benefit. I guess, yeah, I guess that's a benefit. <laughs> so what, what did you study at Stanford? I studied anthropology. That was my major. And I did a minor mm. in human rights as well. Nice. That was pretty fun. 
You're you're in Stanford too, aren't you? Right now. I am. I, I'm in Stanford right now. Yeah, I'm finishing up my master's. In what are you studying? Uh, I'm studying mechanical engineering. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Not as interesting as yours, but still. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Well, what drew you to anthropology? Um, I actually like took an anthropology class in high school. They had mm-hmm. this random anthropology class, and it was like a name for all of these things that I had already loved, like different cultures and learning about why people mm. do the things they do. So when I got to college, I took like a bunch of anthropology classes, and every single one blew my mind i like it made me think about the world so differently and mm-hmm. i loved that i like loved the way it turned things around mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you have like a certain section of like cultural regions in the world that like you're more drawn to than others or is it just like in general all of them um i think in general all of them because i think what anthropology does well it does like tend to focus geographically or geographically mm-hmm. specifies its study but it talks mm-hmm. about things that happen throughout the world so Hmm. i think anthropology is really a study of power and power relations within a society so how it manifests who has power who doesn't what power looks like how people get power Hmm. how people give power away Hmm. what power does and like power is everywhere in the world of course that's just the story of being human so um so of course you can like study something in in san francisco and it'll be specific to San Francisco, but there's also something that mm-hmm. will echo something happening in Shanghai or Botswana or, yeah. you know. Yeah. People in San Francisco have a lot of power because they have the power to just shit oh. on the street. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Sorry. what do you mean? <laughs> I, I, I think if you ask Tarun his number one, is like, what's the first thing you think of when you think of San Francisco? He thinks of human feces on the side of the street. <laughs> That's what I think of in LA. <laughs> well, that's because we had our friend Millen um, on the podcast before, and he that was like his number one. Well, I don't know if his number one thing about San Francisco, but something that I feel like he reiterated. I don't, I don't many think it's times anybody's number one favorite thing of San Francisco. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, like, number one. I, I don't know what I'm saying, actually. I think it's number but he two, just, actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good one. Anyway, he said it a lot, so that's, like, all I know about San Francisco. So, there you go. But haven't you been there? No? I I think I went there when I was really young, but I haven't oh, been back so since. you haven't been there to, to break the fantasy yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. <laughs> yeah, come back from that. Yeah, that. Hey, can you put this in this book? Get us out. Moving on swiftly. <laughs> um, Bhavana, actually, so Bhavana, a friend of the podcast and also a very mm-hmm. good friend of Katie's, uh, told us that you studied Arabic. Is that true? Or yeah, am I getting things wrong? I did. I did study Arabic for three years. It's a pretty mm-hmm. hard language. Yeah. <laughs> I studied Spanish for like a year and it, I like learned so much more than I ever did in three years in Arabic. <laughs> it's yeah it's tough yeah. it's tough i mean obviously it's a different script but it's also is a different way mm-hmm. of thinking about language and about like structuring language mm-hmm. and so it's it's not just like learning the vocabulary or the grammar of it but it's like getting yourself into the psyche of an arabic speaker which is mm-hmm. the beauty but also the pain of it right <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in arabic like 
all words come from a three letter root or most words mm-hmm. come from three letter root. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting to see which words are linguistically connected to each other, like mm-hmm. um, by coming from the same root. So for instance, the word for university and Friday and like the verb to gather all come from the same root because, mm-hmm. or meeting, whatever, because the root means to gather and universities mm-hmm. are places where people gather and Friday mm-hmm. is the holy day. So people gather at the mosque. And, um, oh, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see those connections, that etymology. So what made you decide to start studying Arabic? Um, I was going to study French because that's what I studied in high school. Mm-hmm. And then I was confused by the online enrollment system before freshman year started. And I like felt like I was running out of time and I couldn't find the French classes. So I was like, oh, I'll just do Arabic. <laughs> <laughs> so like a spur of the moment thing. It's going to be a yeah. your investment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> do you guys speak any other languages? <laughs> no. I guess we're, all, we're bad immigrant children. I'm like, I, I can oh, understand. Speak for yourself. Um, I can understand Telugu, but uh, I, I don't speak. I speak little little bits and pieces here and there, but it's it's okay. not great. Um, yeah. Yeah, same as Tarun for me, and same language as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. My mother tongue is Tamil, um, and I can't understand or speak, but I can read the letters. <laughs> so like, I can read. I can read out like if someone like written out. I think out I could Tamil, read the letters. Man. I, I could like I can put together what the like words are, but I just don't know what I'm saying, oh, so it's okay. kind of pointless. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I guess I also have like a. Oh, at one point, I had a pretty good understanding of Spanish because I took like all the AP Spanish, but. It's been years since then, so definitely I can still understand it, I think, pretty well, but I definitely can't speak as well as I was able to at some point. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. happens. I opened like an Arabic homework at by accident on my computer the other day. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Were you able to like ever like practice it, like go to like a Arabic speaking country and use it or no? Yeah, I studied in Jordan for a summer, which was oh, wow, super fun. Cool. Um but it's frustrating because in school they teach you modern standard Arabic MSA, which is like mm-hmm. almost Quranic Arabic. Like it's formal and it's very proper mm-hmm. and it's the same in mm-hmm. all different countries. But people don't speak modern standard Arabic. People speak Amiya, <laughs> yeah. like dialect. So yeah, I got there and like nobody understood what I was saying. I didn't understand what anybody else was saying. <laughs> <laughs> I was like three years for this. <laughs> yeah, but. Jordan, no, Jordan was a beautiful place. Like I had, I really enjoyed my time there. I can't imagine going to like a country like that where I, I guess like I know you knew the language, but at the same time, it's still like that's so daunting because mm-hmm. it's just like so far removed from like the U.S. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in beautiful ways. Like there are so many mm-hmm. beautiful moments of culture shock I had. Like mm-hmm. um, I remember we we like there's a cafe culture in Amman at least, like the capital city. Mm-hmm. And people mm-hmm. just go sit with their friends like every single day and just talk and talk and talk in the afternoons with like shisha mm-hmm. and tea and um mm-hmm. and it was so lovely and like I remember one time I took out my phone because someone had texted me and the other people at the mm-hmm. table like turned around and were like aghast and they were like put away your phone what are you doing I was like, I'm sorry <laughs> imagine actually talking to the people that you're sitting with <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> Damn, they must, if they ever came here, they must fucking hate it. <laughs> yeah, dude, oh my god, so bad. We're so us. focused on ourselves all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Have you guys studied abroad? I did. I studied in Spain because I had a Spanish minor. 
So I, I spoke Spanish. I get it. I didn't get a chance to. I was I was really cut off, but uh, <laughs> by Tarun. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so I studied in Madrid, and so I did a or, yeah I did a study abroad in Madrid, and then we did day trips to like Barcelona, um, and like Valencia, the the Andalusian region in the in the south. Um, Cause my like one of the two the, the two like group leaders that we had they're like a couple even though they were both like masters Spanish teachers like a like graduate level st- Spanish teachers but they were like engaged and like they actually just had a kid like two years ago, um and so like her family was all from the region that's like the m- southernmost part of Spain that like touches Africa I forget what what it's called but she's from that region and so she was like deeply rooted in like all of the southern spanish culture like she knew how to do like all these like unique like flaming not flamingo uh what's the other <laughs> dance version i forget what it's called flamenco yeah flamenco um you went there you went no nah, i was thinking flamenco like the place in brazil anyway um <laughs> i spent six weeks there and yeah i've been dying to go back since that was oh my god that was like Four years ago now, three, three. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a long time. It feels like forever, but yeah, it was definitely a. I always get ragged on because I always say, you know, it's a, you know cliche. Oh, changed my life, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it was definitely the most like eye opening experience because, like you said, you get a lot of culture shocks like all around. Like even though people think that like Americans and Europeans like kind of act in the same way, like it's still really different with like all the different like cultural norms and that kind of stuff what sort of things stood out to you um well like in spain specifically like the time of day is different well like no it's not but the <laughs> like way, their night time is a lot weird yeah. in our night time yeah yeah so like their hours of operation should you say are like from 10 to like 3 like 10 a.m to 3 a.m like you eat dinner probably like 9 30 10 o'clock like that's the normal time and then if you go out like if you go out before like midnight in spain on a weekend that you're like a boomer like you you can't be doing that you just like everything happens everything fun happens like in the late late of night and Mm -hmm. like everybody just stays up later um and everybody has a siesta so like in the middle of the day they go home and like most people just go home and like eat lunch and then go back to work. But some people do like kids, I think, or like young school going children, like go and actually take naps. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I thought that like the whole societal structure was better. Like, for instance, I just love the metro there and I'm not a public transportation kind of person because it's so easy to use. Um, and like the different sections of culture that were like throughout specifically Madrid, because I spent most of the time there. Um like there were since it's all because it's a huge international city right so it has a bunch of immigrant populations so you still got that sort of different kind of cultures from mostly from like i would say like the middle east and northern africa i mean there's also like french and pretty much everywhere but england and uk but you know because they're annoying and loud but i understand that (laughs) um so yeah it was just cool to see like the gathering of all these kinds of people. I can only imagine how different it is now after COVID and how things have changed there. But yeah, there's a lot of things that you would think that like, Oh, like you may not speak the same language, but 
people like to lump in Americans and Europeans, or at least white Europeans together to like, oh, it's all kind of sort of the same thing. But I think that every country like has its own. I mean, that's why they have different cultural regions and stuff, because they're just so different. <laughs> so there was just a lot of information yeah, take, take it all in take it in. <laughs> so how's the phone use in Spain Christian <laughs> the phone use yeah yeah like yeah. is it like here or is it like Katie said in Jordan is it more like that <laughs> oh um, well you have to remember that I went with like 23 other oh, Americans yeah, 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 yeah. so we infiltrated this place well, the thing, well, <laughs> it's colonized <laughs> well it's also like a really upbeat urban area too so people are still on the phones like in the panderias and all that kind of stuff like all the time and like in i mean there's like mini malls and like i'd say it's still pretty like technology centric but it's definitely not like it is in america where like if you are without your phone for more than 45 seconds, you like have an anxiety attack. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it was, it was a different kind of phone usage for me. Cause I had two phones cause I had my American phone where I did most of my stuff. And then I had like my, like my national Spanish phone that like actually had like phone service. So like I didn't buy like an international plan cause it was just like, it wasn't worth it for six weeks. Like if mm-hmm. I was there for like six months, it would have been different, but it was just so weird having to like worry about like if I need to talk to somebody back home, I have to hit a hotspot on my Spanish phone, connect it with my phone, like my American <laughs> phone, go to WhatsApp and then talk to people back in the US. It's just such a long process. It was so unnecessary. Yeah. But yeah, it was the phone usage I would say is definitely more like Western, where it's like mm. normal to yeah. pull your phone out of the table. But it's definitely but we were taught more to like try and just adapt to what you see the people around you doing rather than what you're accustomed to doing. Cause you'll stick out like a sore thumb. Cause you're an American. You don't give a fuck about what anybody else has to do or what <laughs> they have to say. So yeah, it's uh it's definitely eye opening. I guess a question for both of you. Um, no, <laughs> like, is there some, like a specific like habit you picked up from like your study abroad experience or just like other, like, I guess okay. I guess we'll get to this later. But you've been to like other countries and you spent more time there. But um, just like a specific habit that you've picked up, like from one of those trips that you like brought back here, it could be good or bad. I was just wondering. That's a good question. I um obviously people dress more conservatively in Jordan, so I wore like clothing mm-hmm. that I wouldn't normally wear here. And ever since I've come back, like every time I put on clothes in my mind, I'm like, Oh, could I wear this in Jordan? Yes. No, probably not. <laughs> the answer is never yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember coming back from Jordan and wearing a dress that like came to my knees and the mm-hmm. lower half of my legs felt so exposed for like the whole day. I felt like I was walking mm-hmm. around. Yeah. Naked. <laughs> that was really different. Dude, I don't know if I have any, like I picked up like, cooking stuff um Mm. and just like i would definitely say like my my language use like exponentially grew because like i took spanish since i was in like fourth grade i still like even in college i still didn't know what the hell was going on bro trying to use like transitive verbs and all this kind of bs like (laughs) no way i knew what i was doing so like actually being i mean i guess part of it is you don't really know how to use it unless you're like forced to in the environment you know Mm. it's so I would say that's, but like, I don't know if there's something I 
do like every day. I I definitely like I do think about it like back then, like how I would act like on the streets. Like I mean, I'm not saying like I acted insane or whatever, but like all the like etiquette, I guess. Like I feel like people were more polite there though. Um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a general population, like they weren't like putting their jackets over a puddle for you to walk on, but like, you know, just regular like common decency which i think we we notice much more because it doesn't happen here a lot or as often as it should maybe mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point you make like i remember like when i was taking spanish in school like when i would, we had like these things called pals where you kind of just like you like have to have like a conversation for like a minute essentially to yeah. record yourself yeah. and like <laughs> it just feels like i would like make mine so forced because i like pretty much like have a yeah. script that i like prepare in my yeah. head but i feel like it wouldn't make sense like in like conversation to be using like Ademas or like Claudio KC. Like it's yeah. even like these like phrases that like you know like they, the listener's gonna love to hear, but like it's not yeah. like something you someone actually uses in conversation. Yeah. Oh I, but, I, I it does remind me I did have one habit that I picked up that was gone is that um I I started yelling obscenities in Spanish every time <laughs> I was upset instead of in English. I was just like I was just going like I start going off in Spanish because especially like when I'm at home, nobody knows what I'm saying. Nobody can tell that I'm that mad, you know? So yeah, like true. you know it's easier like that. So. <laughs> it's just whatever. And I start making new words like puta te is not a real word. Like that's just puta and it's it's just not it's not a word. <laughs> So I just start I just start saying like nonsense like gibberish in not English even like it's just it's not real. <laughs> That's funny. Did you ever feel uh, this is to Katie? <laughs> Did you ever feel judged for being an American in Jordan? Um, I think maybe sometimes people made assumptions about me because mm. not necessarily mm. because I was American, although maybe because I was American. <laughs> because I <laughs> was white and because I didn't cover my mm. hair so. Mm-hmm. Like our landlord, I remember, would come up to our apartment and we had a roommate who was Italian and she like mm-hmm. wore clothes that were probably not very appropriate for Jordanian culture. And he came up to our apartment and um, and told us, what did he, he called her a whore, I think, or he called, or I'm not sure. If I'm oh my God. Podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> called her a prostitute. <laughs> um, and basically, oh, wow. like, oh my God. to tell her to stop dressing like that. Um, mm. But yeah, I think it's sort of like a liminal space where people see you and you're not part of the norm. So people feel like the normal mm. rules don't apply to how they interact with you. Sometimes, not mm-hmm. everybody. Most people were like lovely. Not in Jordan, but other around the world, people like assume that I'm richer than I am, that I'm mm-hmm. like. Um, I remember there was this one guy in Mexico who was convinced that everybody in the United States like bought a new shirt every single day. <laughs> I, like, I don't know anybody like that. And he was like, no, no, my cousins do it. Like they have a new outfit every single day. And I was like, well, your cousins are ballers because that is yeah. like, <laughs> wearing a shirt I've owned for 10 years. <laughs> it's very different, I imagine, in Jordan than it is in Spain. But I found myself like, obviously, it's easier in Europe as a white person to blend in, right? So I was doing my best that I could to like blend in. Like I, like I think the thing that improved the most while I was there was my accent. So people couldn't tell that I was American. So if I spoke the language well enough, they couldn't tell that I was some idiot from across the pond, as they say. Uh, 
So <laughs> did you ever find yourself trying to like, I mean, blend in is kind of hard to do <laughs> comparatively, but I don't know, trying to find yourself, I don't know, trying to seem less sticking out, I guess. Oh, all the time. All yeah. the time. It's uncomfortable to be the person that sticks out all the time. Yeah. You have to build up like a callus. Even here in LA, mm. like um, the food for less that I go to the grocery store, like I'm usually the only mm. white person there. And I speak Spanish, right? So I mm-hmm. want to speak Spanish to the people there. But they will, there's, so there's a, like a line ahead of me to the cashier. And one person goes by, goes by, goes by. They all speak Spanish. And then I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And it's mm-hmm. coming. And I get to the cashier. And she's like, okay, like, would you like one back or two? And I'm like, two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Called out. Another day recognized as the white woman I am. <laughs> it's funny because uh, when we go to Malaysia, uh, so my mom, uh, she learned Bahasa, which is like the language that Malays speak. Um, she learned that when she was studying in Singapore. So like when we go to Malaysia, we go like, to the markets, they're trying to like buy stuff. Like you can pretty much haggle at these markets. But like, if they know you're a foreigner, like they're of course going to yeah. like, they're not going to indulge. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one time, like, I was just, like, I wasn't really, like, paying attention. I was just, like, to do my own thing. And then my mom was, like, in the process of haggling. And, like, she was speaking to the person in Bahasa. And then, like, I came up to her and said something, like, in English. I don't, I don't remember what I said. I was, like, oh, I probably said, like, oh, can we leave now? And then she was, like, she, like, she, she just looked at me. And then she, she just, like. Uh, You're not my child. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And then, like, she, like, went back and spoke, spoke in Bahasa with the lady. I think, like, she ended up not being able to get a deal because she knew that um, we were foreigners. Uh, but, yeah, my mom was pretty pissed. So, after that, I just. Stayed silent for the rest of the time. <laughs> Good man. Um, yeah. The last time I went to India, actually, yeah, they do this shit in India too. I mean, even my parents are Indian. I mean, I'm also Indian, but they're, <laughs> they're but um, they went to like some like landmark in India where you had to pay a ticket to get in, uh-huh. um, and they had different uh, ticket prices for people that are citizens of India and versus like not. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So my parents were like, just don't say anything, just act like you're like from here and just walk in. And it almost worked. And then the person saw my mom's handbag that had like the boarding, like the ticket thing they put in the airport around your bags. Oh, wow. And then he was like, no, no, come back here. And then he made us pay more. <laughs> come back yeah. here. Come back here. <laughs> That's tough. It's actually racist, in fact. How's it racist? Yeah, no. Explain. Because we're foreigners, you know? I feel like a lot of countries, they're like, you know, oh, you guys are foreign, like, you know, we'll treat you to a great time, you know. But these these people that are, you know, trying to get, take money from you, they're just like, you're not from But would here. you, well, if we like, if you're like, if there was like landmarks here that you could discount because you're a US, US citizen, wouldn't you be happy about it? No, in fact, I wouldn't. Oh, really? You would <laughs> yeah. pay the full amount yeah. instead of because the actually, actually, my dad is still not a US citizen, so for uh, his sake. Are we sure we're allowed to say that? We're allowed to say that? What? What? See that his dad's not a citizen. Yeah. Should I need to give out your address? No. We already gave out his address. Is that going to be a, a U.S. citizen ad, bro? So, <laughs> oh no, I'm not. I'm not the government. No. Uh, <laughs> you have to listen to this ad four times, and then we'll reveal Tarun's dad's address, which is also Tarun's address. We'll be right back. <laughs> and we're back. I'm sorry if you actually replay that ad four times because we still will not be revealing Tarun's address. Um, it's after the fifth time, so do it again. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, back to uh, what we were talking about before. Um, well, I guess we didn't really talk about this yet, but Katie, you mentioned to us uh, that you're an NGO worker. First off, we don't know what that is, or I guess we we knew after we. Okay, did we know what it stands what, for. We don't know. Yeah, we don't really yeah. know what it entails. Yeah. Um, so, do you mind explaining a little more? Yeah. Please. What that is. 
Um, well, I'm not an NGO worker anymore, but I was. And okay. it's a non NGO stands for non governmental organization. So those are usually like little non profit organizations that go work in different places and usually do like humanitarian or charitable. Mm-hmm. Charitable isn't the right word, but humanitarian ish work. Um, <laughs> so I volunteered for an NGO in Greece and I interned for one in the Philippines. And I worked in a couple in Mexico as well. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, before before you continue with the NGOs, you said you're now a paralegal, right? So, I mean, did you, uh, stupid question, but did you have to go to law school? No, you can be a paralegal with no oh. law school experience or any oh, experience whatsoever. Yeah, you watch dudes, bro. You don't know Rachel. Shut up. Tell them about a hardship. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to say anything. All my knowledge is from that fake show, so I don't <laughs> <laughs> That's all my knowledge, too. All right, I'm sorry. Let's get back to the, the task at hand here. So what did you do at these NGOs? Um, like, what, what do they have you do? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Um, they were all different. So the NGO in the Philippines was this NGO that moves in, like, all over the world after emergencies emergency disasters mm-hmm. happen um so they went to the philippines after the typhoon in a year that i should know which i think is 2015 2016 um i could <laughs> be wrong um but then they stayed to help rebuild like the local economy and to work with different farmers and schools for a lot of different like mm-hmm. prongs of approaches but that was a lit internship because they paid for everything including my flight oh. um, and oh. I just like got to observe basically their operations on the ground. So they had one group working with, as I said, um, farmers in this um, agriculture project that they had. So a lot of the farms were destroyed in the typhoon. Mm-hmm. So they were working with farmers to develop mm-hmm. new technologies when they were rebuilding their their like crops and agriculture systems. And then they had like a different area that was focusing on human trafficking. So they were educating like local schools about how to recognize traffickers and when they come to like rural areas and how to build up defenses mm-hmm. against trafficking. And then there were like more urban centers um, where they had stationed like, or they were, well, they worked with the government. I mean, this NGO didn't do it, but they worked with like local mm-hmm. government people and station people and transit mm-hmm. centers to look out for trafficking and train people how to recognize it, things like that. So I just got to watch all of it happen. It was really cool and talk to people. <laughs> that sounds nice. <laughs> I didn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, I got to be in the Philippines. <laughs> I got to see how NGOs work. Mm-hmm. So it was a really cool learning opportunity. So was it a more hands-on experience when you went to Greece or Mexico? Yeah, Greece. Um, Greece, I was working in an NGO within a refugee camp on this island called Samos. And... Mm-hmm. Um, we like had this little center just on the street from the camp and we ran language classes and music classes and provided a space for people to feel dignified because the conditions mm-hmm. in the camp were really inhumane and terrible. Mm-hmm. Were these refugees from where? They were from um, Syria, from Afghanistan, from the DRC, from Cameroon, mm-hmm. from oh, Palestine. Oh, wow. Big, so yeah. yeah, so mostly like Arab and Northern African, like regions. Mm, nice. Yeah, yeah. That was um, a really that it was like a very traumatic and life turning <laughs> experience. Yeah. Mm, yeah. 
So I remember like the year I came back from it, it was just the only thing I could think about. I remember like I took this class on the history of South Africa and every day I would walk out of that class like having heard two words the whole time because the whole time I was just thinking about like people I'd met and the things I had seen and um, Mm -hmm. just like feeling very stuck in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did that change your life perspective or did it? (laughs) It did. And not necessarily in positive ways. Like I think I realized that I had believed in these universal balances of good and evil and of Mm -hmm. pain and relief and of suffering and of redemption. And I had always sort of innately believed that redemption and relief and joy and salvation would triumph over these other things and i realized that that isn't the case that i think i heard recently some some quote from somebody that says that justice doesn't exist like people make justice or you make justice happen Hmm. and i that was so true like that is exactly what i saw in that place not necessarily Mm -hmm. that people were making justice happen but that justice doesn't exist yeah so how different was that experience from the one in Mexico too? Um it didn't have the same emotional rawness and I'm not really sure why because mm-hmm. people were still fleeing really horrible situations and right. part of the trauma of being in that um liminal space if I can use that phrase again is that people are not out of the mm-hmm. trauma yet and they're not in a safe space where they can start to recover yeah. from it and they're they're being re-traumatized by the space in which they're in too. So that was also true mm-hmm. in Mexico as it was in Greece. Um, but Mexico, <laughs> what was more traumatic was just like the culture of toxic masculinity, not for Mexican people, because actually the people that I was mostly around were Central Americans or from Honduras mm-hmm. and Guatemala and El Salvador. Um, and I just personally felt really noticed noticed because of my Mm. white skin and (laughs) my blonde hair and um my and being female of course in that space so that was like a very dehumanizing experience in many ways i'm still trying to figure out the way how to articulate the differences between like the experiences in greece and mexico but yeah i mean when you see those sort of like inhumane types of conditions i think it's kind of hard to put them into words sometimes it's just an experience and it's hard to to translate it you know Uh from or maybe process it even sometimes for people to like make it make sense i guess yeah um especially since they're all like obviously terrible but they're in such different ways that to make it to compare them isn't fair to try and yeah so it's they're just so different and they're so unique in their terribleness, yeah. if that makes sense. When I try to describe like this camp that people had to live in in Greece, like I often just revert to statistics or anecdotes of mm-hmm. people that I met there, like, I don't know, rats that I saw or something like that. But <laughs> yeah. it doesn't capture like the heaviness of the atmosphere yeah. and just like yeah. the yeah. heaviness of the people and the sense of waiting and of of pendulous waiting because people are stuck there for like years sometimes waiting for their cases to be processed so it was just like something that weighs you down just more and more and more and more Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of these like individuals, like were they like families or were they kind of like buried? Um, some are families. Some, a lot of them were just single young men, um, mm-hmm. which ironically is kind of a, a detractor from success. Like it's not an advantage to be a single young man because families are prioritized in this asylum mm-hmm. process. So the single young men, even if you've arrived there before a family, you'll probably be processed after them, if at all. Yeah. Well, Did you see like a bunch of many refugees in Spain? Um, I wasn't there like, so obviously it was through like Virginia Tech, right? So, and it was like a, a sister college there, which is more for international students. So I would expect their idea because they guided a lot of what we did is they're trying to not have us experience those kinds of things. So I didn't, but that definitely doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. I'm sure I, I wasn't totally at the time aware of like all the governmental processings of things that go on in Spain. Like I was very aware of some of its history with like Franco and that kind of thing. Um, but I mean, there was no, there was probably one instance that off the top of my head that I can remember where there was like uh, an effort or uh, some sort of notice to some sort of help towards people outside the country or like this is a this is a shelter for people who have immigrated in but i think big especially because madrid is dead center in the middle of the the country like a lot of immigrants i would i would presume i don't know if it's true or not would come from like the outside like where there's like water boundaries or where there's international boundaries so in order to make it all the way to Madrid, I would imagine would be a, a hard journey. But I'm sure if I went back to Andalusia or even up in Barcelona, where it's like in the borders of France and there's water and there's a sea, I imagine there's way more up there. Um, but no, I I think a lot of because it was such a guided experience, they were I wouldn't necessarily say they were trying to hide it. They were just trying to like. If they don't know, they don't know kind of thing mm. about it. So it's definitely not something they outwardly said like, oh, these are all of the things that are going on in the country. And I think we were we were hidden a little bit from like the the cultural or the the uh, the governmental side of a lot of things that happened. Um, so, no, not a lot of refugees, but there was definitely a huge mix of people who's like ancestors, not ancestors, like long, long time, but grandparents and that kind of stuff were immigrants. And there was definitely a huge mix of people from all across the world there. Yeah, I feel like when you see um, like things like this that happen um, domestically or like especially internationally, you don't really understand like the gravity of like how terrible the situations are for people. You kind of just see the ticker on the news. You're like, oh, yeah, that kind of that kind of sucks and then you just move on with your day um but unless you like dive in deeper or like actually go there like you did i I feel like i can't imagine like how i would react if i saw that yeah and it's it's always tricky talking about greece because so much of it was terrible Mm -hmm. but also because my mindset was terrible and so i don't want to discount like the ways that people 
actively yeah. works to make their situation better. Mm-hmm. And I always, mm-hmm. I always remember this guy who was he used to be a pastor in Cameroon, and he had such a lovely presence, and he always wore this white sweater that I think was the only like shirt he owned because he always wore it, and it was so hot. I was like, how are you wearing that sweater all the time? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he had such a calm presence about him, which is really noticeable because a lot of people had anxious energy, had past energy, understandably, obviously. But mm-hmm. I remember him telling me once that he just sat in his tent, or that earlier that day, he had been sitting in his tent in the camp um, in silence, just in awe of God's grace. And I was like, I was stunned. Like, I always think about that, and I think about the feeling I had at that moment because I was stunned, but not for good reasons in that camp. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. to to still find beauty or to still find peace in that sort of atmosphere mm-hmm. was so shocking to me. Yeah. I guess one, one more thing about Greece I was thinking about, like, was there like a feeling in the nation that was like kind of like disdain towards these migrants? Because I know like during that time, like, I guess, I don't know about right now, but like, I don't agree. It was like, there were like economic crisis at that time. So I'm sure, like, I feel like there's probably, like, like the majority of the population, like, we don't want to bring more people into this country. Like, why are we doing this? Like, did you yeah, get there is definitely, there? Yeah, there was definitely some of that sentiment on the island. And it's hard because I think at first when refugees started, I don't think refugees have always been coming through Samos, but when they first started mm-hmm. arriving in droves, um, like, after the, once the civil war started in Syria, mm-hmm. like, I think people were actually very receptive to the people coming to the island and mm. wanted to make it hospitable and wanted to help them. But it's just been such a prolonged experience that it's like, mm-hmm. as you said, they have an economic depression too. And it's mm-hmm. like a drag on the economy. And I mean, there are mm. all sorts of people in all sorts of categories, right? So some people living in the camp would steal from people living on Samos or would, you know, vandalize some properties. Yeah. yeah. And so I think the sentiment turned not completely. There's still some people who are sympathetic to the situation, mm-hmm. but um, it's hard to have a, a camp of 7,000 people who don't have many opportunities to work on the island. You don't have opportunities to like contribute mm-hmm. to the economy because they're not allowed to. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Katie, I'm sure you like befriended like a lot of different people in all these different countries. Do you feel like there was like I know you're talking about that, the, the guy who you said had such a calm presence around him. Do you feel like there's like some medium, whether it's like music, dance, food or something that you feel like despite a language barrier or whatever other cultural barriers mm. could always like unite or integrate people together in a calming way or like a, in a way that comforts people? That's a great question. I would say all of those that you mentioned are all unifying factors. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think especially food. Like I remember... Yeah. Um, mm. It was, what was it? I think it was Ramadan while I was there. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I like Googled, like, what are some common Ramadan foods that people eat (laughs) from from (laughs) Palestine? Because it was for, I was teaching a French class and all my students were from Palestine. And so I went to like the bakery Mm -hmm. in Greece and they actually had foods that were pretty similar. I mean, understandably Mm -hmm. to what people in Palestine might eat during Ramadan. And so I like got some special mm-hmm. cookies and I brought them in. And the way, like, I remember this one guy, Mohammed, like the way he lit up when he saw these like cookies, I can't remember what they were, but they were like, I think they 
dates or they were covered in powdered sugar that's the only thing i remember mm. and the way he lit yeah. up when yeah. he saw them i just like will always remember that <laughs> yeah that but yeah i feel like like eating a meal together like definitely brings some sort of sense of like family like no matter yeah. who you're with um especially if it's like the food's really good and everyone's kind of quiet and you're kind of all just like enjoying it just like scarfing it down mm. together it just i feel like that's like a yeah very familial uh feeling do you have like do you have like a favorite meal in your memory favorite meal yeah oh well, maybe not a meal do but... you have one no <laughs> <laughs> but i like moments of eating like something in a special place or like a special mm-hmm. moment yeah mm-hmm. i've told this story before but like while while i was in spain we uh we would go to this one like it wasn't a bar like they had tapas and like they had beer and i don't know it's just it was just a place that we went like once every like week or so like as a, the entire like study abroad group um and like our i don't know if you call them guys but they were teachers at the college or whatever we would all go to this bar and we went and the women's world cup was on and like the u.s was playing thailand i think and U.S. is, like, always, like, great at women's soccer. And so they were up, like, three, four, nothing at halftime. And this guy, Riley, who was in my group, he was like, yo, if they score double, double digits, like, I'll get everybody, like, those two pitos, which is two shots of, like, straight vodka <laughs> um, or tequila. And it's like, okay, Riley, whatever you want, bro. Um, so we're all just, like, having beer and, like, eating tapas or whatever and like gradually like the score keeps going with like seven eight nine and riley's like starting to sweat because like <laughs> this is like 30 people and like 60 shots is like a lot of money yeah um so riley's like bro i don't know if i can do this and <laughs> he's like i'm gonna need tyler to like lock it the fucking <laughs> um but then it, it was like in extra time like u.s scored and I have this video on my phone and everybody just like starts cheering. Like we had this one little section in a bar. We all just start cheering and you just pan to Riley. He just looks, you look like a defeated man. He was just so dead. <laughs> um, but the best part. I bet you like was, the locals at the bar. Like, dude, look at these they Americans were like, celebrating. Yeah, oh, let me know when Americans fucking suck. Yeah, <laughs> what is going on? Um, but the best part about it was because we'd been there like a couple of times and like we knew a couple of like the, the staff, like like we talked to them a couple of times. Um, they were like, we told them like what was going on. And so they were like, they cheered for us, like whatever, like when they scored, but then they only, they only made him pay for like half of them. So they only made him pay for like one round or yeah. So it was like a good experience of like, you know, feeling like a part of like, not the culture, but like culture eyes, like within like. I don't know, just having fun with people, like, in the community, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. Um, yeah. So that was probably, like, the one the one that sticks out the most. I went back to Greece the summer after I worked there to visit some people mm-hmm. that I met in the camp. And one of my mm-hmm. friends had me stay with him. He had, like, moved to a different camp on the mainland, so he wasn't on the island anymore. Um, and so I went to visit him, and, like, the day that I arrived, he took me around to meet all the different families in the camp. And every family like insisted that I drink a cup of coffee with them. So by the end of the time, I had had like 20 cups of coffee. Oh my God. <laughs> and I like don't drink coffee. I like drink half a cup and my heart is raising. So I was like, 
dying <laughs> but I couldn't express that to anybody because even my friend like didn't really speak English and they were Kurdish yeah. so they spoke Arabic but like not <laughs> my Arabic was so shitty like it wasn't helpful yeah yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I was like dying couldn't tell anybody funny cups of coffee <laughs> 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 it was horrible. Ron, <laughs> you got a, a meal that sticks out in your head, man. I love Migo Rang. I love it. That's what I do say. love Migo Rang. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, like, I guess, like, um, every time we would uh, come, like, we go to Malaysia, the flight always lands, like, pretty late there. I think we land around, like, by the time we get out of the airport, it's usually, like, midnight, if not later. Mm-hmm. And every time, like, my cousin... Or like my aunt will pick us up in the airport and like they'll drive us right to because like they have like night markets there that stay out stay out pretty late because people mm-hmm. like stay out pretty late there. Um, and we always get like roti chana as soon as we get up, which is like prata in in Malaysia. Um, it's just like I guess I should explain that one more. It's like uh, flaky bread, I would say, kind of. I don't really know how to explain yeah. it. Um, yeah, you pretty much just eat it with like some um, curry, like it could be like fish curry or something. Um, and it's like my favorite food in Malaysia, and it's just like. It's like the best introduction every time like I land, just go straight there like at midnight, like a midnight snack. Um, yeah, I feel like those always stick out to me. Harsha? Harsha, you're a big food eater guy. Come on. You can't say McDonald's. That's not fair. McDonald's? <laughs> Dude, I know, I know he would. That's the global food that brings everyone together. I know they have <laughs> crazy deals on the app, you know? Oh. Gotta take advantage. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, there's this place... Um, in India, like near my grandparents' house, that uh, it's called the Dagus, which is basically, and they sell like uh, snacks, basically like Indian snacks, not necessarily like sit down restaurant food. So like mm-hmm. quick food, and it's uh, something that I mean, wait, this is like packaged, like sorry, packaged, packaged, packaged snacks or packaged? no, 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 packaged. Like, no, 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 it's, no, it's like pavaji, <laughs> which is just like bread and like some like curry thing, so okay. Indian like, like that type of. Yeah, like that type of food, like some pani puri, like things like that. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like appetizers. So, yeah, yeah, appetizers, mm. I guess is a better word. Yeah, so like that type of food, uh, I just really enjoy it there because it's, you can get that stuff here, but it's just not the same. And like, yeah. it, that's also open like pretty late at night. So you can just go and you just feel really shitty after because it's so unhealthy. <laughs> but <laughs> it's really that's good. the best part. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I, I don't know. I was, I was thinking for a while about my favorite meal. I, I don't know if I could necessarily pinpoint one, but I just, I know there's like tons of days that I've had where it's like a long day or like like post traveling or something like that. And then my mom will make food. And then when you eat that, you just go to sleep right after. It's just like one of the best feelings. <laughs> I think I could always eat her food, you know, so. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Milano's and chocolate milk. Milano's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Katie, for, since you don't know, um, I drink like one horizon chocolate milk like every night before bed or like if i don't do that then i'll, I'll drink it like i'll drink two the day after or something <laughs> really make up for it. yeah <laughs> i am i am a child but <laughs> just don't don't hate me for it going back to like the like the, i guess like the way you felt as a woman <laughs> in uh, mexico and stuff like that do you think um the woman experience is like pretty consistently uh i guess like the same throughout like all these different countries you've been to and if that is the case do you think you feel like more empowered being a woman in the u.s because you have more opportunity to like invoke change i think uh i I guess that's like a fair assumption to make but i don't know that's a good question i definitely don't think that being a woman is the same in every single country that i've been to Mm -hmm. but i also have positionality because of my race because of my nationality 
So mm-hmm. me being a woman in Mexico, for instance, is not the same as like a Mexican woman being in Mexico. Right? Yeah. Because people mm-hmm. perceive us differently. We come from different standpoints and different perspectives. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that the experiences that I have as a woman are all, all across the world are like all part of the same poison, <laughs> which is <Yeah>. the patriarchy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so definitely I, I feel much freer here as a, as a woman, although not completely mm-hmm. free, obviously. Um, but even the harassment that I experience here, I think is the same um, thread or the same token as the harassment that I experience in a different place, even if it's mm-hmm. more severe or even if it manifests differently in a different mm-hmm. place, like I think it's also part of the same mm-hmm. uh, schema of, of thought, of belief, of power. So mm-hmm. do I feel like I can affect change from here? Maybe within America, maybe within my community. Yeah. Given like the history of colonialism and imperialism, yeah. <laughs> I don't really feel like I as a yeah. woman can go into yeah. a different space and tell people how to be a woman or tell people how to act. Right. So yeah. going back to the Mexico thing, um, something that Haran and I had like learned about that happened like what would you say like a month ago, Haran? Yeah, yeah, like a month and a half. Um, mm-hmm. this kind of like goes into the, uh, I guess the you were talking about like the toxic masculinity portion of like what happens in mexico there's this um there's this soccer team in queretaro called queretaro fc and basically they they had a match and out of from what i remember like out of nowhere basically they have like ultra fans right they have like fan groups that are like really really hardcore some of them are like uh sponsored by the teams and some of them are not and a lot of them get because they're like so hardcore like for example in italy there's some that are like had like ties to mussolini like like there's some like really deep-rooted political bs goes on like within these hardcore sports teams or fan clubs i guess as they're called anyway the ones in mexico are often deep-rooted within the cartels and so from what i remember at this one match like uh, the game was still going on, right, Haran? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. When, basically, there's just, like, fights started breaking out in the crowd between... It wasn't even just, like, fans of the op- opposite teams. It's just, like, straight, brutal, like, fist fighting going on out of nowhere. It spilled on onto, like, the game itself. Like, they, they called the game off, like, while it was still going on. Like, and at first, they were, like, there were these videos going on on Twitter of people, like, just, like, straight dead. Like, yeah. obviously dead, getting trampled, um, all these sorts of things going on. And at first, like, the Mexican government came out, or the, the local police, I think, maybe the Mexican government came out and said, oh, nobody died. Like, it's just, they just didn't happen. And then, like, you can, uh, unfortunately, you can just obviously see dead people. Like, people were being dragged out, like, dead. And so, it, it kind of feeds back into that thing you were talking about, how, like, it's not okay, clearly, but in in their minds, it's just like part of how they, I don't know, like operate or see things. Haran, I'm I'm missing like a huge chunk of this story, and I don't really know how to fill it in. Can you please help me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you know more than I do about the whole thing, but I mean, like fan violence in football is like something that's been going on for like many years. Not even just in Mexico; like in yeah. Europe, it's pretty bad. Um. 
but yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't even know how to like explain like how or why it happened. Um, yeah, like basically, like these groups that are tied to the cartels and the and the drug gangs and all the stuff that goes on within Mexico, basically just started these huge fight this huge fight at this one soccer match and like the stands were like complete it looked like a bomb went off within the stadium mm -hmm. just because like everything was just like completely destroyed mm -hmm. um and so like i think that kind of speaks to like what you were talking about how like Haram was saying it's like part of the culture but like to that extent for something like that to happen like that does not happen like every every week or every year or whatever yeah. um and so it it kind of comes to the point where you have to ask. I mean, I, it's easy for me to say like, "Oh, you guys have to ask yourselves like, stop or what's the point?" <laughs> you know, it's yeah. easy for me to say that because it, it's not my culture. I don't know how, you know, you you operate like that, right? It's not it's not for me to say. But at the same time, like when you see this just like brutal murder, pretty much, like you have to, I think, look at it in a greater picture to be like, okay, what is going on here? Like there's no there's no obvious right answer, but there has to be some sort of change that goes on to where maybe as a, as a society you don't change, but like you have to tweak something to where this like hairpin trigger just doesn't result in that sort of like yeah. massacre, I guess. And I don't want to yeah. like exoticize toxic masculinity either. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and I think like what you're talking about, I could imagine happening maybe in Texas or somewhere where there's like a yeah, strong yeah. I mean, that's a different kind of football, but football culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and I don't know. I've never like related. I'm not really into sports, so I've never like related to the feeling of being on a team or being with a team. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's not worth it <laughs> what's really yeah, interesting to me is that people say we like we won that game or like is it a bet yeah. the team like it's us and I'm like were you playing like I don't know if you're saying <laughs> 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 like but we yeah. are emotionally involved you know yeah that's how I feel at least yeah 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 okay you can play Bob and I'm doing she's a Dallas Cowboys fan that's the worst yeah fan it's the worst kind of fan <laughs> yeah. yeah I didn't know that about Bob no. Yeah, I wish I didn't know that. Alright, <laughs> <laughs> you dug yourself in a hole. Dig, dig it out. Dig it out. No, dude, I I stand by that. That was the first thing I knew about her. Like when we when we met in high school. Yeah, and then, and then you continue down the path. <laughs> yeah, there were there were warning signs. You know, I could have. <laughs> I could have. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know she's yeah, still. Yeah. I, I, I don't I'm, know. I'm cutting that. I'm cutting that. still. No, keep it in. Keep it in. <laughs> Actually, wait, Katie, when we met in L.A., you told a quick story about how you had, uh, I don't want to say run-in, but, uh, a, I don't know, correspondence with uh, MS-13. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> oh, my God. Correspondence. That makes it sound like we write letters to each other. <laughs> you trying to implicate her or something? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Course. We can cut this out later. Um, yeah. In, so I worked in two places in Mexico. One was in the south in a little town called Tenochtitlan, which was on the border with Guatemala. And the other was in a mm -hmm. place in the north called Nuevo Laredo, which was a cartel town. But in the south, um, there are like lots of people coming through. Like People stay in the camp for like two days, three days. Sometimes people stay longer, but people are often transitional or transient. So um, we have a lot of people coming through that we don't necessarily know their story or who they are. And one night, 
we were awakened <laughs> by this pounding on the gate. <laughs> and so like we all go outside. Actually, I was asleep during this, unfortunately. I mean, not unfortunately. It sounds like a terrible thing. <laughs> I didn't wake up for this. I'm just straight leader. <laughs> Other people went outside and these people were banging on the gate. Or I think it was just one man at first who was banging on the gate. And he's like, let me in, let me in. We're like, what's up? And he's like, you're harboring a fugitive. And we're like, what? Um, and it turned out, so this guy was from MS-13, and he had been pursuing this guy from Honduras that was staying in our refuge oh. for the night. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, we didn't let him in because, you know. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, okay, well, you watch what happen. What happens? So he leaves, <laughs> and 30 minutes later, he comes back with, like, three other guys, and they all have machetes, and they force open, like, the gates to the refuge. Oh, my God. And they come in, and they say... Um, in Spanish, obviously, but they're like the the Hondurans give orders here now, like rivers of blood will run in Las Tentados, which is the name of the place. Um, and so they're like brandishing machetes and they're shouting these things, and they're like after this poor guy who is trying to run away from them, who's probably mm-hmm. hiding in his bed. Um, and so we call the police, and the only thing the police were supposed to have been there the whole time, but they left to go get tacos or something. And so they came, <laughs> call the police. The police come. They're like, "Oh, sorry." And the only thing they do is they think they make the MS13 members leave the refuge, but they don't do anything else. Like, oh my god! They don't imprison them. They don't like remove them from this dangerous situation they're creating. Jesus. Which is pretty typical, honestly, for the police in Tennessee game. How did you manage to sleep through this? I, I, that's my question. Like, <laughs> I'm kind of disappointed. You literally in a way. had an overthrow while you were asleep. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> I don't know why. Long days, long days in the camp. <laughs> fair, fair. And then in the camp in the north, in Nuevo Laredo, which was a cartel town, as I mentioned, we didn't necessarily have any run ins with the cartel, but. Um, it's like a very weird atmosphere living in a place like that because you can't just go around and like walk around town because if they don't know you, mm-hmm. they're going to come ask. They have people everywhere. They have people on the street corners. Everybody's involved from the people helping you park from the like lady selling quesadillas to like the woman at the OXO, which is like a 7-Eleven. And so they have eyes everywhere. They have ears everywhere. And so if they don't know who someone is, mm-hmm in the town first of all they'll know immediately that you're there and second of all they'll come up and ask you who you are and what you're doing there where you came from who you're seeing who you're talking to mm-hmm. so mobility is very observed mm-hmm. um so the only place i ever went was like the grocery store which is a block away and then we traveled to the camp from our house in a van but right. there was a house two houses down from ours that was obviously involved with the cartel because they had these raucous parties every weekend, every Friday and Saturday, like they would blast this music and they would have dancers come and they would have clowns perform and they would have all this catered food. (laughs) Nobody else could afford to do that. So obviously it was blood money funding these parties. Did you get the invite? No, I was like, come on. I was just asking. (laughs) Yeah, too bad. Just kidding. I don't want to go to a party like that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, like, uh, like looking at it as an overall living experience, what do you think is the is the hardest thing to adapt to, to, like, having to, as as somebody, I mean, to look at it from our, our perspective, not as from the refugee perspective, which is obviously, like, greatly different, 
But what do you think is the hardest thing to adapt from having to go from your normal life to one of these camps and then back to your normal, like kind of going in and out? Um, the hardest part is probably like constantly refiguring yourself within this different Mm. environment and different cultural norms and different um, situation. Mm-hmm. So, like, the person that I could be in Greece was very different from the person that I could be in Mexico. Right. Like, renegotiating those terms of identity and self with yourself in this place, mm-hmm. I think, was one of the most difficult things. Like, in Mexico, it was just... It was just constant, like, the harassment and the attention and the mm-hmm. comments. And I was reading this book at the time which talked about this, it was kind of a retelling of Snow White almost, um, but there's this girl who I think was really beautiful. I forget the whole story, but people like paid a lot of attention to her. And there's one line of the book where she talks about how um, it's hard to find what's left of yourself after people take so much by looking at you. Mm. And I really related to that in the moment because I felt so superficial there because I felt like I was just this body, just the shell like existing in the space to be looked at and taken. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it was like work to find my myself within that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bars. <laughs> <laughs> so given your that you're a well traveled person, what's your what's the next country you have your eyes on? Where would you want to go mm. next? I would love to go to India. I wanted to go to India ever since Bhavan and I became friends. <laughs> it's been a long time of wanting nice. to go to India. <laughs> um, but uh, realistically, I think Colombia is going to be my next adventure. Ooh. I'm watching this Colombian telenovela, and they drink mm. hot chocolate every day. It seems for breakfast, so... That definitely seems like a reason to so go somewhere. So now somewhere. instead of getting 24 coffees and whatever you have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sounds a lot better. Yeah. If you go to India, remember to take off the the luggage stickers from the airport. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that, that will be the, yeah. That's what would give me away for sure. <laughs> you should go with Bhavna. I feel like she should be a good... Indian person to travel with. I feel like I would yeah, be useless there. Sure. Yeah. She's invited me several times. Knowledge. I don't know why I haven't taken her up on it yet. The next time <laughs> she does, I'm, I'm not saying no. Okay. So let her be warned. Is it because she's a Dallas Cowboys fan? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I, heard, I heard that's a big... Uh, <laughs> I say, yeah. Personality flaw. <laughs> Dude, Bobna catches so much smoke on this podcast. <laughs> That's yeah. okay, man. All the time. <laughs> it's up to Haran to stop it, honestly. But he just feeds into it more. Actually, he's the one who feeds into it the most out of yeah, all yeah. of us. Yeah. Any publicity is good publicity. Facts. <laughs> 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 Except when you're shitting sure. your own girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you're actually the biggest loser in this in this uh, scenario. Haran, can I ask you a personal question? What's something that you love about Bavana? Oh, oh <laughs> let's go. Oh, let's go. Uh, has Haran ever answered this? Straight, He's like, never answered this. We haven't times. talked about this. No, we oh, have. We God. have. We've we had, have. had calls before where Bavana's You always yeah. say some BS. Um, oh, there's so many, so many choices. <laughs> yeah, this is where <laughs> yeah. he starts, he starts yeah. waffling. He's like, oh, there's so much. That's what a person that has I think never thought about this. She's very determined. Um, mm-hmm. and like, 
like it's like for, like for example like her job like it's been like kicking her ass but like she never like really backs down like she's always like i every every day i'm like you should just like quit like find a job that's a lot easier on you like i feel like this is a lot but like she's like so determined to like to prove that she's worth it and she's like mm-hmm. she can do it and like that's really admirable because i don't think i would be able to do that um if i was getting worried for that long um and also it's fun because like if we ever get in, like in an argument like i'm also very stubborn so like i won't give in and, like she won't give in so it's just a lot of fun um <laughs> a lot of fun, fun. <laughs> yeah, like nothing gets done <laughs> that's like not like real arguments i meant like oh, it'll be like okay. it would talk about like football or something like because she's a cowboys fan i'm a commander's fan like like change your yeah, name every year <laughs> yeah we should yeah i think that's probably the quality that i yeah, if I we have, if we ever ask that question we're not getting a fucking answer no way in hell. <laughs> what do you wait i've said that before i think no no you've never you said think that. christian you're cutting that out though right <laughs> <laughs> no that's staying in one million for my just for my answer i just said there's a lot of things just keep that in turn <laughs> <laughs> what's the quality that you <laughs> that you find the most admirable admirable in me in you Never. yeah Oof. why why you making it about yourself just because your birthday's in 30 minutes what the no, fuck we can do like, we're gonna like we can just do like a circle around <laughs> katie you want to go first <laughs> i, I love the that. last hour and a half what have you learned yeah. <laughs> i love that haran thinks bobbin is determined <laughs> <laughs> That is what I was going to say. <laughs> I love that Katie brought that out of us. <laughs> After so much bobbinous slander. <laughs> yeah, we have it's, to, it's, we only, have to it's only fair. It's only fair. That's what real friendship looks like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Is there any other juicy NGO stories that you want to uh, retell? Oh, man, there are too many. <laughs> <laughs> is there an uplifting one? <laughs> an uplifting one. It's okay if it's not. If it's not, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it, I just don't want, don't want to shame your stories. But I guess one thing I would say is like the year after I came back from Greece, and I thought about all these people, they were very much stuck in this terrible place that I had them in in my memory. Mm-hmm. But I saw a lot of them, not a lot of them, but a few of them the next year, and they had all right. moved out of that camp, and they were in different parts of their lives, and um, not necessarily further along in the asylum process, but. Mm. seeing them there allowed me to reimagine them in a happier mm. place and mm-hmm. and also not like stick them there myself like not mm. not attach their personalities or their persons to this place of tragedy that i held in my mind mm-hmm. so i guess like seeing growth and growing myself mm. so yeah. the expansive time is like an uplifting thing i think yeah during this episode i did look up and it, i think it said like the Greek refugees went from like forty five thousand a couple of years ago to like four thousand five hundred last year or something. So that's a crazy improvement. Um, yeah, you know? I think they closed that camp actually that I was working in, and they moved it to a different part of the island. So mm. that camp doesn't exist anymore. Is that a good thing? Yeah, I mean that, that like genuinely. <laughs> like if you if you close a camp, like. That could be like because nobody needs to go there, or you're closing a camp because you can't afford to hold them. Yeah, yeah. I think they moved. I'm it. hoping it meant to like integrate <laughs> yeah. everyone. I think they but. moved it farther away from town, so it's more remote. So I think a lot of people would not think that it's a good thing. At least people who live in the mm. camp probably would like to be closer mm. to like other mm. civilization. I mean, the original camp was built for 750 people, 
and by the at the peak of it there were like seven thousand people living there so it was like not a place for that sort of quantity of people in any sort of circumstance damn that's that's the kind of growth we're we're looking to make in our in our listeners number to go, you know, go from <laughs> seventy five to seven thousand five hundred in the next three weeks. <laughs> first, hopefully, we get to seventy five listeners first. Okay. Hey, 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 oh yeah, hey, oh, sorry, hey, yeah, yeah, hey. hey. <laughs> but hey. Uh, yeah, that's all the time we're gonna have today. Uh, we want to thank Katie for coming on this podcast it was a lot of fun we learned a lot for sure yeah. um before uh we let you go is there anything you want to plug or say to our listeners um to the listeners but i like had so much fun on this podcast awesome yeah we appreciate it yeah um so if you like this episode and want to listen to our other episodes head over to our spotify uh for our podcast at uh, interesting, oh, sorry, not at, at on Spotify, <laughs> uh, in, on interesting discussion sometimes, uh, and then like our content at an interesting discussion. There you, go. you can also find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, TikTok, SoundCloud, YouTube, um, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, LinkedIn. We just joined uh, LinkedIn, there. <laughs> LinkedIn, um, be real, yeah, everywhere. So, be you know. real. <laughs> Make sure to tune in to the next episode. We're going to have a really, really something amazing planned for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.